I hate it when my car teaches me uh, about me. And I bet some of y'all are probably the same. So oftentimes when I'm driving, I hate taking left against traffic. I learned that from my dad. I just don't like, I don't know if y'all have ever seen the struggle, but like turning left against traffic, it's just not fun. Because there's all these, there's, you, you have to look both ways. It's like playing Frogger, right? And so thankfully, at some point, there's going to be some nice soul that will stop. And it's going to cost him a lot to stop. Like he starts backing up all these cars behind him to let you, to let you out. And then, but you have to keep watching to make sure that the other guys on the, the, the side that you're trying to go in, that they're, that they're watching you also. And so I, I experienced that a lot. The other day, though, um, I was in Picayune, and I was, trying to, I was trying to get out of this gas station in Picayune on 43, and some of y'all probably know it's near the Home Depot area. I'm trying to get out toward, going right with traffic. And I was just waiting. I'm like, goodness gracious, and there was a red light, and so like my spaces were limited on what I could get into, and I was just waiting. It was like the cows were let in from the left. I'm like, finally someone stopped, and like all these cars, cars started backing up behind him, and I got out. The light turned green. And the people in front of me were slow. And I, I just, there, there's a horn that the Lord blessed us with. And I just wanted to lay on it because I'm like, can you not go? And I thought about like going around him. And then I realized, oh my goodness, my car is teaching me in these moments that I have a complex. Like I've got like, it's like a superiority type complex. Like I have this thing and maybe you've experienced it too. It's the opposite of uh, defensive driving. It's offensive driving, right? And maybe you've been that way and you see morons on the road. And they're idiots. I shouldn't say idiots. I think biblically I can't say morons. They're idiots on the road. And so like when you're driving and, and you just want to let them know kindly with your horn, which not in New Orleans. My wife's told me don't ever do this in New Orleans. But you want to kindly let them know you forgot your blinker. You forgot to stop. You're going too slow. Move over. Like you kindly want to tell them those things and remind them of those things until you realize... People extend you that grace also. And then you realize, oh my goodness. How could I be extended that grace and not extend them that grace as well? I caught myself. We, the guys are studying. We're in this book by Tim Keller. Uh, it's on the book of Romans. And so we... What's really great about this, and so the ladies are going through Scripture for 48 weeks, uh, and us guys, we're going through, because uh, we can't last that long, so we're going through uh, three months, almost, of Scripture. But we're in Romans, Romans chapter 2. What I love about it is, if you haven't gotten a part, become a part of a small group yet, it's not ever too late. Because where we are in Scripture, it's not like you lose necessarily a spot where you were, and so you can, you can join in with us. But we're in Romans chapter 2 this last week. And in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, Scripture says, When you judge another, you condemn yourself. Right? And so when I, like there was a, there was a quote from an author named John Stott, a famous, uh, famous theologian. And he said, he calls, it, he calls it this invisible tape recorder. And so when you go through life, the things that you say about someone or to someone about their idiocy or... Or the things that you gently need to remind them that they're, they're, just, they're, just, they're just not doing things the right way. It's almost as if there's an invisible tape recorder recording everything that you say and everything that you think 
about all the, these folks that you cross paths with every day. And when you close your eyes here on this planet for the last time, and you open them up for the first time in eternity, you're going to be standing there at the judgment seat of God. And Christ is going to be, and God's going to be there, and He's going to be judging you. What's He going to be judging you on? John Stott, and we learned this in the book, it's like this, whatever we said and thought about other people and judged them for, we too are going to be judged. And so these moments where I'm on the road and I'm extended grace and then I don't extend that to someone else, I just wonder how many times God's going to bring that up to me. Now we know in Scripture, Paul says in Corinthians, and this is not where we're going today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. So you can go on and flip there because that's where we're going to camp out this morning. But in Scripture, Paul tells us in another letter, essentially that you can judge those inside the church, not for the point of putting your thumb on them and making them feel bad or you're less than or you're whatever but in order that you can say hey listen what you're doing is wrong and I want to love you towards health I want to love you towards not being angry James I want to love you towards grace on the road quit being an offensive driver like I want to love you towards right financial standing I want to love you towards a better marriage or better relationships at work closer towards God instead of farther away. Judging unbelievers is a whole nother, like we should not do that. My question to begin is this, how do you want to be judged in the future and how will that change how you act now? And like, I've not really thought about that too much. How do I want to be judged in the future when I open my eyes in eternity? And how's that going to affect how I act now? This is week three of a set of teachings called Outward. So if we've got the gospel, if we've got the good news, and if you were here on Easter, we talked about it. If you were here last week, we talked about it the week before. We share about the good news of Jesus, what he's done for us, because that's what we are opening the doors for other people to come in and see. Like we've seen this hope and this grace and this encouragement and this life. We've seen it. And so we open the doors for others to come in and say, hey, we want you to be a part of this too. When you've got the gospel, what do you do with it? Well, our challenge to you the last couple weeks, the next couple weeks, is to live outward what's gone on inwardly inside of you. We want you to live outwardly. So if you're like, hey, I didn't catch it last week. Well, it's even more explicit, although I think Barrett did a fantastic job. And if you haven't listened or watched, you can find it online. We've been given this gospel and this good news. I want to give you one idea this morning. And if you don't write down anything else, it's very simple. But it's something I'd love for you to drill down into your hearts. I've been given grace to give grace. I've been given grace to give grace. And when you realize that, when you think that, when you say it, when you repeat it, when you live it, I... Not just, you know, pointing at someone else in the room, someone else in your family, oh, my great uncle, my grandma, my grandma, grandpa, my whoever, like they've been given grace and they had a great faith. No, no, no. You've been given grace. I've been given grace to give grace. And that's what I want us to catch this morning. I've been given grace. Like that's something that's happened inwardly. The Bible tells us that we had this cold, dead heart of stone 
that when we trust Jesus, however that happens, when we trust Jesus, he takes his cold, dead heart and he replaces it with a, with a heart of flesh, like a new beating, real, spiritual, spiritually alive heart. And when we get this new, this new life, we've been given this grace inwardly to give out outwardly to other people. It's thoroughly, thoroughly supported in Scripture. We can find it all sorts of places in the New Testament. We can find it in all sorts of places in the book of Acts. You can find it in the, in the Old Testament as well. And that's what I love about Scripture is that the Old Testament and the New Testament, they, it's like they daisy-chain each other. They just keep referring back to one another. And it's beautiful the way that, that God made that happen over a span of hundreds, if not a thousand plus years. Like how Scripture just continually supports each other. Isaiah chapter 55 Verse 7, y'all probably thought that you'd get through a sermon without Isaiah. Let the wicked one abandon his way, and the sinful one his thoughts. Like, let this old heart go away, and let him return to the Lord, so he, so God, may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will freely forgive. For those of us that have ever wondered, like, man, have I done too much? Like, we know because we've been on the inside. We've been on the inside. We know we've done a lot. But, man, God forgave me of it all and continues to forgive me of it all through Christ. When I say, God, please forgive me. Throw it away. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. If you kind of wondered how the format of this, this set of teachings in April are going, it's, We'll be in the New Testament, usually Acts, and then we'll, be, we'll bounce back into Isaiah. Because we want to show you in the Old and New Testament how these, these ideas come together. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord is waiting, the Lord is waiting to show you mercy. It's not like God's like, oh, man. I mean, he's, he's waiting to show you. Like, he wants to show us grace and mercy. And is rising up. To show you compassion. For the Lord is a just God. All who wait patiently for him are happy. We talk about God's justice. And maybe we don't talk about God's justice enough. And we, we see in the news and media about justice. The Lord's justice is like he could. We are so much. We are so worthy of his wrath. Because we've, we've gone our own ways. And we've had our own sinful desires. And, we've, and yet God in his mercy has given us a, a gift. This gift of grace. And he's even rising up. He's, he's jumping up to like run out and show us this compassion. For he is a just God. Isaiah chapter 63, verse 7. I'm going to read a couple different translations of this. He says, I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us. Even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. The New American Standards calls it the mercies of the Lord. Like, I will make known the mercies of the Lord. And the message writes it this way. The late Eugene Peterson kind of sums it up this way. He says, I will let... I will make a list and let everyone know of God's gracious dealings. I've been given grace to give grace. The sooner that we start to believe that and know that and live that, I have been given grace to give grace, 
man, I think our, our social cir- circles will start to be enriched. I think that our, our families, our family dynamics will start to change. I think our neighborhoods will start to change. I think our workplaces and everyone that we come into contact with, good and bad, I think when we realize that I've been given grace to give grace, that changes how we act to people, doesn't it? It allows people finally, maybe for the first time, to see this Jesus, this God who gives grace. Grace and kindness point to God's forgiveness. Uh, Peter says it this way in the book of Acts, chapter 10, verse 43. All the prophets, we just read out of prophet Isaiah, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, Jesus, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. He's like, everything in the Old Testament, prophet-wise, is pointing back to this Jesus who freely forgives. Who receives forgiveness of sins. It's ironic. Peter's talking about forgiveness. Because Peter's the one, if, if you've trekked around the Bible a little bit, if you've been in churches a little bit, you've, heard, you've probably heard that there was a guy named Peter who would deny... Jesus three times. Jesus said to his face, hey, by the way, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. No, 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 I won't. Yeah, actually, but before the rooster crows, uh, you're going to do it three times. And sure enough, he denies him three times. Right before Jesus went to the cross. Some of us feel like we've denied Jesus. Maybe that we've, we've cursed Jesus. Maybe that we haven't trusted Jesus. Or maybe we've doubted him so much that we feel that we are too far gone for Jesus to reach us. Maybe I'm preaching to the choir in here, but maybe someone's listening or watching online and they know, they're like, James, I've gone too far. There's no way that Jesus could reach me. There's no way that he could forgive me. There's no way he would ever, he would ever, he, he could ever come and reach my heart. Peter asked about forgiveness one time, well before he denied Jesus. Matthew chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 21. Peter approached Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Again, just knowing the context, like now in the book of Acts, later on when the church is starting, when the church of Christ, the bride of Christ is like starting to catch up on a lot of steam and thousands and thousands of people are starting to share about Jesus. Peter's the one that would talk about how Jesus would give us forgiveness. And yet here is Peter sometime before asking Jesus about forgiveness. Like, hey, what's the big deal with forgiveness? The rabbis would teach that you only needed to forgive someone three times. And in Scripture, it shows like there's even, there was even a thought or belief in Scripture that shows that you could forgive, that the Lord would forgive three, even four times in the Old Testament. And so Peter's saying, well, should, like, is, is three the limit? Or when someone screws up against me or, or, or messes with me or goes against me, should I, should I forgive him a fourth time or a fifth time or, or, or six? Mate, is seven? Is seven? I don't, can't count. Is seven enough? Is seven enough, God? I'm not going to go into detail on it, but the Pharisees believe that way. The Pharisees believe that law is greater than love. That following the rules 
to the T is more important than following the law of love. And I said I'm not going to go into detail because I was that guy and sometimes I tend towards rules more than relationship. And I just want to caution you all against that because here it is, Peter's asking, is it a rule or is it relationship? Verse 22, Jesus responds, I tell you, Seven's enough, pal. Seven's enough. Like, if they do seven, just call it a day. Jesus says, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. So, some, some old manuscripts say seven times seven. The, the point is, Jesus is like, hey, there's no limits. There's no limits. There's no limits to how many times you need to say, I forgive you. My wife gave me a great illustration. We went on a date the other night. So thank you for the date night. It was, and she tells me this illustration of all, like you hold out a, a brand new pristine sheet of paper and you say something mean to the sheet of paper and you crumble it up a little bit. You say something else mean to the sheet of paper, crumble it up a little bit and you just keep crumbling and crumbling. Poor sheet of paper. Like it didn't do anything to you, right? But you like, you crumble it up and then you say, I'm sorry. And you uncrumble it and you say, I'm sorry. And you uncrumble it. And before you know it, you've uncrumbled the whole sheet of paper. Congratulations. But there's still crinkles in it, right? Like, so we'll still remember, even after we forgive, like the words hurt or the actions hurt. And I get it. Someone's done something against you. Someone's been mean to you. Someone said you, you, your face looks weird. Someone said, hey, your hair's thinning. Someone like has looked at you and like, like in some sort of way broken your trust. It could have been a car dealer. It could have been like a family member. It could have been a neighbor. It could have been the government. It could have been Brian Adams. I was at a concert last night and they covered a Brian Adams song and like I was like, boo. And like I was the only one in the, I felt, <laughs> I, felt I didn't feel bad about it. I didn't feel bad. I hold grudges. Pharisee, law versus love, right? Anyway, so I'm preaching to myself, by the way. This is, I'm thank, thankful that you're here listening to me preach to myself. These kids are a great crowd. I like them. But like, man, the words or the actions of what they've done or said to you hurt. And they'll hurt for a long time, maybe forever, because those crinkles are still going to be there. Unless you're like me and you forget them and suppress them and then you'll go into therapy in another 20 years. But like they're going to be gone. They won't be gone. You'll never forget them. But Jesus says, hey, Peter, you forgive them as many times as they mess up with you, man. You forgive them. This very Peter is like, oh, I'm never going to. And then Jesus is like, oh, you will. And guess what? I'm going to forgive you. And then on top of me forgiving you. Not too much longer later, you're going to teach people about forgiveness. I was given grace to give grace. There's no limits. You ever wonder why Jesus spoke in parables? Maybe. Maybe you're watching and you're like, hey, I don't know why. Um, Jesus speaks in parables to help people understand the point. That's why he gives us uh, these examples in Scripture and teaching. So he gives us a parable. For this reason... The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Verse 24. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. 10,000 talents, and I can't remember which of us preached about it in the last year, year and a half. But 10,000 talents is equivalent to like 6,000 denarii. 
And I know that y'all have denarii in your house because you're like, I could uh, invest in Bitcoin, I could uh, invest in denarii, uh, denarii, so like I'm going to... So 6,000 denarii is equal to about um, 20 years wages or 58 to 80 pounds of gold or nowadays probably several million dollars. So he goes to this first servant and said, hey, you owe me like several million dollars. Dollars, like lots of monies. All of the monies. The point is this. This man, like us, has a lot of debt that he could never repay. So this is kind of like the, the head guy. He goes to his servant and says, dude, you've got a debt that you could never, ever, 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 ever in a million years repay. Not ever. In living outward, it's important to remember where we came from. Like as we live outward with our lives... It's important to remember where we came from. Living outward requires us to look inward at how far we've come. So here's your first application. I want you to try this exercise. I want you to ask yourself, who was I before Christ took hold of my life? Who was I before Jesus took hold of my life? For some of us, it's like, hey, it's been a few months ago. For some of us, it's like been years ago. For me, it's been a couple decades ago. Uh, And so you ask yourself, who was I like? What was I like before Jesus radically took over my life? And I, and I shifted and I changed. And I started, like, there was a, a new outward. Like, what was I like outwardly before my outward changed? Well, the question is, James, like, what if I haven't trusted Jesus? Well, I want to tell you explicitly today, trust Jesus today. Verse 25. Since he didn't have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay back the debt. We cannot ever repay the debt that we owe God because of the great prize given to us, Jesus Christ. There's no way you could ever repay that back. Nothing. That's why it says that Jesus gave us the free gift of salvation. There's no way that we could have ever supplied this on our own. I mean, that kind of hits deep, but it reminds me, and I have to tell people this all the time, knowing that there's no way that I could ever repay the debt of what Jesus has done for me. When I've trusted Jesus, then there's nothing that I could ever do that would make Him love me more. And there's nothing I could ever do that would make Jesus love me less. Because it was a free gift. I was given grace to give grace. Verse 26. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me and I will will pay you everything, liar. Then the master of that servant... By the way, that's us all the time. We're like, oh God, I promise, I promise. We can't ever pay it back. Then the master of that servant had compassion and released him and forgave him the loan. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he grabbed him, started choking him, and said, Pay what you owe. That's equivalent to like a day's wage. So I don't know how much money you make a day. Uh, I work hourly. Uh, some of you are minimum wage. Some of you are a little bit more than minimum wage. So we're looking maybe 60 to 80 uh, maybe even $180 a day, right? So essentially, this guy owed. This servant goes out and goes to a, a servant below him. He's like, hey, you owe me a day's wage. You owe me 60 bucks. And he starts choking him. I mean, that's so humiliating. 
like everyone around is like watching and like it was permissible in law to like you know to choke or strangle somebody like not to death but to to get their attention it was permissible back in that day to humiliate them in front of everyone saying hey you owe me something Like, this is road rage James right here. Like, I was given grace, I get it, whatever, but, like, you need to move out of the way, you dumb driver. Like, you need to slow people, move into the right lane. It's a law in Mississippi. I do that sometimes. I, and then my wife's like, uh, sometimes you drive like Papa. And which I do. Like, I forget that I'm driving. And then maybe these people are like that too, and they forget. But we do that all the time with our coworkers. We do that with our family members. We do that with our spouses. We do that with our friends. Friends. We do that with like people that were that are around us. Like we forget that we've been given grace, and so we go out and it's like we're figuratively strangling them, or we're sending out a passive aggressive Facebook post, or we're we're de- like degrading them in front of other friends, and we start talking ill about them. We're choking them, spiritually speaking, embarrassing them to other people. I was given grace to give grace. You're not going to like this next question. Who, who do you seem to lash out at the most? I need you to write that name down. Because here's your next application. That person that you lash out at the most, you need to pray for them. I need, I need to pray for mine. You need to pray for yours. You know, like God, help me not to just la- like to to not just lash out, but like God, help me to instead of lashing out, like help me to give grace extravagantly this week. Verse twenty nine. At this, his fellow servant fell down, began begging him. Same thing, like the, the, his master said to his master, "Be patient with me, and I'll pay you back." But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into the prison until he could pay what was owed. And when the other servants, look at that in your scripture, verse 31, underline that. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed. Like everyone's watching us. Everyone's watching how you treat other people. They're watching how you treat your family. They're watching how you treat your spouse. They're watching how you treat your coworkers. They're watching how you treat your kids. They're watching how you treat drivers on the road. Like, I've done that before. I watch other drivers. I'm like, oh, he's doing what I would have done in this situation. Like, everyone's watching you. Why? Because other people know that we, we have an inward hope. And they inherently feel drawn to it as they desperately search for it. It's kind of like that second song that we sang. Like, there's this inward thing inside of us that we can't manufacture, we can't buy. It's innate to us because God created it in us. And other people know, you said at some point in your life, like, hey, I trusted Jesus, or I go to a church, or I fall. And like, so they're looking to you because they're like, this person has like a, a, I think they have something I might be looking for. And so they're watching to see how you react to other people. Verse 32 and 33. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? We've been given grace to give grace. Ezra chapter 9 verse 8 says it this way, grace has come from the Lord to give us a stake in his holy place. God gives us grace 
to give us a stake in the holy place. Ezra says at the very next verse in verse 9, great, God gives grace so that we can help rebuild the house of God. Like we're given grace so we can make something of it. Paul actually says, that, uh, Peter actually says it in, 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 in uh, 1 Peter. He talks about that we are stones and we're, we're, we're chosen stones and we're, we're rebuilding. We're rebuilding like how the world sees God. Some of us feel that we've denied Jesus and we feel like we've gone too far. As one person who had a huge debt repaid, I want, to say to you, to, I want to say to you, if you're listening, if you're watching, I want to say emphatically that you're never too far gone that Jesus Christ can't reach. I deal with a lot of people that, that feel that way. You might have kids that feel that way. You might have friends or family that feel that way. You might feel that way yourself. I've gone too far for Jesus to reach me. You're never too far gone that the grace of God cannot reach you. My question is, as we close, is this. Number one, will you accept that grace? And for those of us that have accepted that grace, my question for us is if, if you have, who will you show it to today? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Jesus, it's my prayer that we live for you. But Jesus, just as we've been given grace, that we give that grace to others. Because God, we want them to know you, Jesus. May we not be a stumbling block for them, but God, may we be those door holders that help people come to find you, Jesus. Because you're standing at that door and you're knocking. It's in your name we pray. Amen.